Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Are Leicester City in the last chance saloon? The Foxes' top flight status is hanging by a thread after a 22nd defeat of the season leaves them two points from safety with just two games to go. Is that it now for the 2016 Premier League champions? Liverpool, meanwhile, took another step towards European football with victory, but the question remains... In which competition? No dodgy refereeing decisions in last night's sole Premier League encounter either, but there have been plenty over the course of the campaign. Head of referees Howard Webb has released to the public audio from the VAR room. Is this the future of officiating in English football and ultimately the best way to get what everyone wants, which is more correct decisions? This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. My name's Niall and forget VAR audio being released to the public. We've got these two on the loose, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. Morning, boys. Good morning. The best audio that can be released to the public. Us Us talking absolute nonsense. (laughs) Oh, goodness me. We've had plenty to say over the course of the last 10, 11 months when it comes to the Premier League, but none of us predicted Leicester City being in a relegation fight. And now, Marley, after last night's 3-0 loss to Liverpool at King Power Stadium, it looks like the Championship is indeed where they'll be playing next season. Yep, I, uh, I can't say. I mean, it's hard to sort of say... You've got to play well against Liverpool to convince me that you know, you're know you going to stay up. But there was just nothing in that performance, I don't think. The first 20 minutes, they were OK. Um, but as soon as, as soon as that first goal went in, you've seen what they were made of. Um, the fact that they conceded straight away again. I think it was three minutes after the first goal. They conceded the second goal. And the game's gone. The game's gone by half-time. Liverpool relax. Just play keep ball. You know, dominate possession. Uh, get through when they want. It could have been four or five. Salah misses a one-on-one at the end. He misses one where he cuts inside and, and puts it straight at Everson when we're, we're accustomed to seeing him bend it in the top corner. You know, it could have been easily four or five and hammered Leicester's goal difference even more. But now the decisions they made to get to this point is um, uh, very much under question. I mean, Dean Smith is not a manager you would go, well, he'll, he'll definitely keep him up and people said that when he came in um I'm just not sure I'm not sure how they keep the ball out the net Mm. enough to stay in the Premier League well they've not kept a clean sheet since the World Cup they're the only Premier League team to have not kept a clean sheet since the World Cup and as I mentioned when you lose 22 games in a Premier League season you need to be looking at the defensive problems and obviously Vestergaard doesn't get a game Soyuncu's only played a handful of games but mainly since Dean Smith came in because Brendan Rodgers didn't fancy him. Johnny Evans, it was his first start last night since October. 
in the Premier League. Calf injury that's been keeping him out. And then I kind of feel a little bit sorry for Valtfass. He's come straight from mid-table obscurity in the French League to trying to keep a team in the Premier League and starting games straight away. It's been a bit of a thankless task for the Leicester defence. Yeah, I I don't really share the feeling sorry for Valtfass um, thing. Just because, yeah, I just think he's terrible. He's absolutely awful. Um, since they signed him, was it from Reims? You know, I mean, Belgian league to French league. He came in, I think, on his debut. He played quite well, and everyone first few games he was very good. I will say that. Yeah, he looked he looked all right, but then ever since he's scared to head the ball. He steps out of line trying to if you you know if you're in a defensive line he's the one that always steps out to try and win it and leaves the space in behind him so they get in behind him he switches off he's not he's all right on the ball to be fair to him like passing and and sort of comfortable with it, his feet but when the team's got no confidence it's it's irrelevant how comfortable your centre backs are with the ball just keep it out mm. the bloody net um, but yeah he's he's uh, he's really I know they had to spend money. The Fafana money on someone, but he, he looks like a competition winner most weeks. He's just so poor, and he's he's doing the great name of Vout um, a disservice because Vout Vergost has been <laughs> unbelievable since since coming to Man United. Obviously, <laughs> um, so now I feel like you, the next wonder kid in the world could be called Vout, and everyone would be like, "Well, history tells us." anyone calls called Vout is crap so we'll uh, we'll leave him so it's it's one of them where yeah it's he's just he's so poor but Leicester on the, on the whole they're, they're awful yeah they've been far far too poor this season to have any complaints about where they are in the table they are second bottom they need two points at the very least and they'll be safe on goal difference but the next two games Joel Newcastle and West Ham which is something we touched upon yesterday and it looks impossible for them at this point to go to Newcastle and get a result it's not anything that couldn't happen because as Marley said yesterday it's the Premier League and we've seen strange results happen the one thing that was concerning for me if I was a Leicester supporter was the way Dean Smith after the game was going on about the foul for the Trent Alexander-Arnold free kick and we'll talk about Liverpool in a sec because what a free kick it was by the way but they were 2-0 down at that point and it's probably too late so if you're talking about moments that change games the free kick to make it 3-0 did put the game beyond any doubt but it didn't look like Leicester were gonna get back in the game to be honest with you I mean even the appointment of Dean Smith is so questionable as well because it's not like his track record says this is the guy who's gonna keep us up in the Premier League I really don't know where the owners have got that narrative from and well to, to be fair Joel the last person to keep a side in the Premier League from this poor position was Dean Smith when he did it with Aston Villa. And I think that was Project Restart, COVID era. So there are mitigating factors there. And of course, we can talk about the goal line technology decision with Sheffield United, which I know Marley's smiling about. So it's I'm the sure only reason they stayed up. But he's the only he's the only manager to have got someone out of the Premier League, out of the relegation zone in the Premier League from a position similar to what Leicester are in. So maybe that was the thinking. I don't know. That's just something I thought I'd throw in there to balance the conversation. But I do get what you're saying. On technicalities, but in the position that Leicester are in at the moment, I just thought it was a bit questionable, to be honest, especially the way in which he ended up leaving Villa. I know he had, he, had, he did a good job there and you know had them really solidified under the big Jack Grealish era. But even, for example, Harvey Barnes, his comments that kind of alarmed me, I don't know if this is slightly pedantic, but when I first saw the comments, I was kind of thinking to myself, it's a bit strange to make where he said, you know, if we go down, I would be disappointed. I mean, 
surely you're not even thinking of that. Surely it's a case of, I don't, I'm not even thinking of going down. The case for us now is I, I have full confidence on us trying to stay up in the Premier League. It's almost like what Marley said at the start, which was they just had nothing in the game. It didn't look like they were fighting to stay up. It looked like defeatist already. And that's kind of alarming for me, considering just how much of a pretty star-studded squad it is. When you look at them individually, they're going to get completely picked off if they do go down. Because they have, like, you know, you got Madison and Ndidi. I know he's dropped off. I know Vardy's dropped off quite a lot. But there's a lot of individual players. And that's probably one of the main issues they've had. A lot of individual drop-offs. And a lot of players who are halfway out. Where you got, you know, Soonchu, who's already agreed to go to Atletico Madrid. Tilia Mans, who's already about to leave in the summer. All these players are pretty much non-committal to the side at the moment, which is a bit of an issue for me. And especially when they haven't been able to bring in new blood under Brendan Rodgers, which obviously resulted in just signing Val Farce, which is a farce, because for Leicester to actually continue being a decent team, with the competitive nature in the Premier League, if you don't buy, you get left behind. So it's almost inevitable, in my opinion, what what's happening. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna stick up for Valfast here because. By the way, I'm not I'm not scapegoating all this on on Valfast. To be like... fair, he's only been in the building since like mid January, <laughs> and he t- it took him ages to get his first game because of a work permit issue. So if you're gonna pin Leicester's relegation on a player who's only been <laughs> no, in the side since February, not... that's a little bit no, hard. No, 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 no. He's got big <laughs> shoes to fill with Wesley Fofana as well. Let's not forget that's a yeah, big course, big shoes yeah. to fill that. And you know, I'll, you know uh, might have been different. I'll pin it on Daniel Amate then, because <laughs> he's been in the team all season and he's crap as well. It could be any of them apart from Madison, even the experienced players like Jamie Vardy, who has only offered one Premier League goal this season, I think. So, you know, you're talking about the big players who haven't stepped up to the plate bar Madison. But Leicester look in real trouble, don't they? Newcastle next Monday night, and then West Ham on the last day of the season. The only benefit for Leicester City is that West Ham game, in my opinion, because by the time they play Newcastle on Monday night, all of their opponents in the relegation zone will have played over the course of the weekend. And by that point, they will know exactly what they have to do going to St. James's Park. And it might be sealed as, as soon as this um, this weekend coming up. So we will wait and see. From a Liverpool perspective, though, Mo Salah with three assists, Curtis Jones with a couple of goals and a couple of well-taken goals as well. Marley, Gareth Southgate was watching in the stands. Trent Alexander-Arnold banged in a free kick. Two players that Gareth Southgate simply doesn't pick for the three Lions. Do you think maybe they might have changed his mind last night from what they put <laughs> on show? Well, considering Southgate was the first man to play Trent in midfield um, about 18 months mm. ago and got a rocket from Klopp for it. Um, I feel like if, you know, this this Liverpool form will only help Trent get into the England squad because, you know, it's a similar role to England's midfield. I think England are, are light in midfield. They need new blood um, to build around Rice and Bellingham who are going to be there for, for years if, if everything goes well. So you've got them too you've got Calvin Phillips not playing much everything else apart from them is open like i you know Ward Prowse has just been relegated he's in pretty poor form um who else is there i'd i'd like to see Joe Willock i've mentioned before he's he's playing more regular and better than Conor Gallagher who gets games every every time the England squad rolls around so you're looking at someone like Curtis Jones on the, on the faces of it i don't want Curtis Jones anywhere near the England squad but if he keeps scoring and there's keeping um he's keeping in that Liverpool team who also need a rebuild in mm. midfield. If he can prove that he's part of that, then fair enough. I like know? Ramsey as well at Aston Villa. I think he's a good player with potential. Yeah, he's he's got at the weekend as well, didn't he? So, yeah, he's looked good. Um, it's it's the weakest part of England's squad for for sure. Um, mm. But yeah, we'll. we'll it's certainly we'll the, the part see. of the squad which is aging the fastest. You've got Milner, you've got Henderson, 
And then, you know, Bellingham and Rice are the two young stars coming through. Calvin Phillips hasn't played as regularly, but I, I think there could be some talented players waiting in the wings. Maybe Trent Alexander-Arnold is one of them. In terms of technique, the free kick was excellent. He smashed it into the top corner after being set by Mo Salah. And sometimes I just think when you have a player like that, you just need to find a way to get them in the team. But that doesn't seem to be how Southgate works. Finally on Liverpool then, and finally on this game before we move on to VAR chat, Joel. Jurgen Klopp seemed to think that last night's three points is enough to secure Liverpool a European spot. He's probably right. I can't see them dropping any lower than the Europa Conference League position now. But the question still remains, will it be Champions League? Will it be Europa League? I still think it's too little, too late for them. I know they're in absolutely unreal form at the moment, just behind Manchester City in terms of form in the last 10 games, which just shows a ridiculous amount of resurgence compared to about a couple of months ago, where they seemed to be around eighth that they were sitting around. Um, But yeah, it would take a real catastrophe from Newcastle or Manchester United for them to get anywhere near it now. And the fact that, you know, United have got two home games, they've got one of the best home records in the league this season, same with Newcastle. It would take a real, real mess up for anything to happen. But, I mean, United are a little bit prone to um, setbacks this last few games. And same with Newcastle, to be fair. It's been quite a slow, dodgy end to the season for both teams. So, I said it. I said when Liverpool ended up getting that draw against Arsenal, I just felt that they wouldn't be beaten at the until the end of the season, and I still think that they'll win all of their games. So for Newcastle and Manchester United, the golden number is I think seventy-one points, which is what Liverpool can't get, or seventy-two depending on goal difference. Um, and also, you can't really discount Brighton either. They've got two games in hand, which could take them um, just a point behind Liverpool if they do win them. So it's all to play for, really. But like I say, it's all in the control of Newcastle and Manchester United. So in that perspective, yeah, Liverpool have left it late. It would take ridiculous results for them to get it now. Yeah, Brighton's next game is on Thursday against Newcastle. So maybe that will be the defining factor when it comes to which European spot they and the Magpies finish in. This is how the table looks then. Liverpool are fifth, 65 points, a point back from Manchester United and Newcastle United, as Joel says, but the Reds have played a game more. As for Leicester, second bottom, six points better off than already relegated Southampton, but one point worse off than Leeds and two points from safety with all of those relegation rivals playing before the Foxes' next match, which is at St. James's Park against Newcastle on Monday. Right then, that is it for the game last night at King Power Stadium. But in the build-up to that, on the TV coverage, Howard Webb was one of the guest pundits, the head of referees in English football, and he released some of the VAR audio that the public don't normally get to hear. We'll have a listen to it next. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast from the Sports Social team. Hit subscribe and that way you'll never miss an episode again. And if you are a regular listener to FSD, you'll know that every Monday on the podcast, we have a special feature to kick off the week called Get in the Sea. And so many times this season, we've thrown into the sea VAR and some of the poor decisions that are made. And often we're left scratching our heads and thinking, how have the officials arrived at these decisions? We don't ever get to hear the audio. We don't really ever get to see the process. We only kind of see a a mishmash of replays and lines drawn and camera angles. But yesterday on TV, Howard Webb, the head of referees for the Premier League, released some audio to the public. And it was very, very interesting indeed, Joel. 
Effectively, it was an audio clip of the communication between the officials in the VAR room and the officials on the pitch. What did you make of it all? We'll have a listen to it in a second. But what, what do you make of the, the way this has become transparent now all of a sudden with two games left of the season? Well, it definitely removes the veil of what the hell's going on in that room because it seemed to all the fans that there was just no idea of how they came to the decisions that they would come to. Like what was being talked about between the officials and the guys in the room and how are they coming to every single decision. And I've always said that it shouldn't ever be a case like rugby where you can hear live audio throughout the game of the referee talking to the players, the referee talking to the technical room, because then it just makes the game all about the refereeing and officiating. And I really think that's a bad way to go. However, when it is a case of, for example, uh, errors which are controversial or massive get massive moments like that one in the Newcastle game where um, I think it was Granite Xhaka where he had his uh, arm hit, hit his thigh and then his arm. I think that was great just to understand how they've actually come to that decision. But when we think back to when VAR first came in, I think it was the 2014 World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. The original rule in that was if the referee felt like he needed to go and get a double take, he would then go to the screen, check it out, in this case, it's almost like absolutely everything in the game is being checked. If ever, anyone's heard the audio, which we'll probably hear in a second, it's like organised chaos where everyone's like shout offside, oh, there might be a foul. I think there's going to be a handball here. And then suddenly everyone's like going over and over each other. It feels like, I think one of the reasons why they're getting a lot wrong is the time. So Are they worried if, about the, taking the too long? Yeah, I think it is that because they're all rushing around thinking, I think there was a handball here, I think there was an offside here. They're obviously got the perception of the fans getting agitated that it's taking a long time. So they're obviously trying to find a decision quickly and it seems to me like that's where the error might be coming from. I think in all fairness, some of the audio that you'll hear is also the on-field referee telling the players to get away or having a conversation with someone because naturally the players and their competitive nature will be going, ref, you got to check this. Ref, that's a penalty. Ref, it was a handball first. And he'll be having all these questions spinning around in his head. So let's have a listen to the audio that, that Joel mentions. This is what's been released to the public. Yeah, got yeah, out swinging corner. Fall out of play could be a question mark. Looking back post. Yeah, yeah can you that. take that for us? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to make that. Weird position. Could be impressive. Shot. side. Out. Shot possible handball. Penalty on field. Just check. We'll check it. We'll check offside, it for me. The arm is. Okay, maybe. Cal, we're just going to check the penalty for you. So this is the point of contact. Here. So point of contact on the arm. Can you confirm that's definitely the arm? Is it not his thigh first? Got another angle here. Yeah, I just need to confirm that's not his thigh. Got another angle camera. Because it looks like it's thigh. Onto arm, his arms by his side. I think at that point. So, that, so the arm is to me in a natural position for the action he's making. The ball comes off the thigh, and then makes a movement into that arm. I don't believe that should be a penalty kick. Ledger, are you seeing the same as me in this position? I agree, mate. It's his thigh, and he's yeah. retracting his arm as well. So I agree. It's yeah. Not a penalty kick. Perfect. Can we just check the app as well? Sure. Just to make sure that offside from the pass as well. Yeah. So from the corner. So Trippier is onside from that because I can see the back post defender there, furthest defender back plays him on. Anything else in the uh, APP that's worth considering? Chris, it's Michael. I'm going to recommend an on-field review to, to review the penalty that you've awarded. If you let me know when you're at the monitor. Cal, we have checked the APP. The APP is clear. So the only incident to confirm is just the penalty. 
Okay, so what we're showing you here is the impact of the ball and the position of the arm, but also the fact the ball does strike the stand. Confirms deflection off the knee, and then the arm comes behind his back after the movement off its, off the thigh. Cab, you turn into a crowd as well. Okay, show me once more. No, no. Do it once more, mate. Do you, do you require yeah, any other like, angles? No, mate, I'm happy. So, arms closing. Uh, my initial reaction was that the arm was out, but it actually comes in not too out. So, I'm going to disallow. I'm going to give restart with a drop ball to the goalkeeper. Confirmed. No penalty. Well, there we go. That was just under three minutes of VAR dialogue between the referee on the pitch and those officials in the VAR truck. Around about three minutes to come to a decision, but it was the right decision, I think we can all agree. And Howard Webb has called this a small step forward. And interestingly enough, he said that FIFA don't allow this audio to be broadcast in match. So we're not actually allowed to hear this in match. But what they can do is start releasing these audio and video clips of how the decision has been come to by the match officials after the game. Is that something you welcome, Marley? Because as much as it is chaotic and to a degree, like Joel says, I do think it's beneficial. Uh, yeah, it's beneficial after the game. Bit of clarity. No one's no one's going to argue with that. It's it has to happen for every every decision that the clubs request. To be fair, because there are times and they didn't go into it on on TV last night where they have just basically got decisions wrong. They won't release that to the public because it makes them look bad. So. Um, you know, there's incidents this uh, this season of um, referees and Howard Webb in, in specific um, apologising to to clubs for an error. So it's it's not as if this this VAR thing. It's not. It was almost presented last night as like, well, we 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 always get things right, and it's like, well, you still get things wrong. That's where the frustration comes from. It's the time it takes and then the fact that you're still getting it wrong. That's what frustrates people. The obvious but, example of that would be Marcus Rashford's offside that wasn't given for the goal in the Manchester derby between United and City. And then there was one with Brentford where Ivan Tony was awarded a penalty when actually he was the one that initiated the contact. And the referees just simply missed that in all of the heat of the moment. Yeah, and it's... it. <laughs> kind of you know disproves the the advantage of VAR if you're still getting it wrong after you've seen it 14 times then then what's the point um but in in terms of the communication I like that um I like that it's being explained I like that you're hearing it it made sense it was the right decision um there's a slight term frustration over the the term clear and obvious because you know is it a clear and obvious error to give the penalty no, but is it you know it's, it's it's that terminology. Where does where does clear and or every clear and obvious not become clear and obvious? It's you know should you trust the if there's an element of doubt should you trust the referee on field? Um, the rules said yes, the rules say yes, but I think no because why wouldn't you slow down a, a thing and say did it hit his thigh or hit his arm? That was really good defended by Kirio. He got he got his arm out of the way. It looked for all the world like it hit his arm. Every every referee in the world would have given that as a penalty because it looked like his arm, but it wasn't. So, yeah, it's um. Oh, the the one thing that annoyed me about it was Zinchenko being a little just pest. 
Oh, off, <laughs> offside, offside, offside. Look at Gabriel Jesus at the far post, you idiot. He's playing him yeah, onside I mean, by two that, yards. That's what these referees have to deal with. They've got to listen to clear and concise yeah, communication yeah. from their colleagues whilst they're getting an earful the other way from the players who want a certain decision made in their favour. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's kind of frustrating, to be fair. Um, but, you know, that is football. And that's what we've done. But the fact that he was, you know, offside, 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 I'd, I wouldn't have the patience. I'd be mm. the first Premier League referee to deck a player. Let's get out of my face. <laughs> Stop We've saying We've got pretty it. close this season. We've got pretty close <laughs> to referees and players coming to blows, but we didn't get there in the end. I do think that it does come down to the subjectivity of being a referee in a sport like football where there are so many fluid passages of play where opinion does come into it. It's not like a game of tennis where if the ball is over the line, it's out. If it's on the line or inside the court, it's in. That is as simple as it gets. It is binary. It's one or the other. With football, what I think is a foul might be different to what Joel thinks is a foul. And I think that that's the thing. And that's what referees will always find difficult to to get right in terms of consistency. Because everyone has a different view on the way the game should be played. And I do think that's why trying to make football absolutely perfect in terms of every decision is just never going to happen. However... This is something that I think people can get on board with. And instead of Howard Webb issuing 15 apologies a season, which he seems to have done this year, he can just release this audio, Joel, and explain why the referee has come to the decision that he's come to. Yeah, but let's see if they do the ones that are very, very big errors. Because listening to that audio clip, one question I have is, you obviously have one senior figure who's the guy who's communicating with the ref. And then you almost have like his assistants who are also giving their opinion. And like you've just said, it's subjective. So let's say a couple in his team say, actually, I don't view it that way. I think it's handball. And then the senior figure says, well, actually, I think it's, it is handball. So I'm going to overrule it. Who gets the final decision? Where Where's this line of communication? Is there like a senior figure who gets to overrule? Does the referee get to overrule? I think there's still some gray areas in it because like you say, I don't think any decision is going to be 100% because like you say, in some circumstances, a foul to me is different to what you guys might think it is. But that's when the referee should just take the final decision then and go and see it. I think in that instance, that's the only way to solve it. Go and look at the board. Whereas if they're taking like three, four, five minutes and they're feeling the pressure because they're taking so long, well, I mean, clearly if it's that detailed of a decision where you need to look at the inches and the timing of it, is it really, is it really a decision that you need to make? Then it's, this is what I'm saying. There's still a long way to go, don't get me wrong, but like you've said, if they feel that they're under pressure from a decision, just put the audio out to the public and let the public decide it. Because what in football, you also have to own up to your mistakes. You can't just be, we got this decision right, let's put it out there and see how everyone seen, see how everyone thinks we got to that decision. It needs to be on both bases. Uh, but we know how well protected the referees are in this country, so I don't really see that going down that rabbit hole because there's a lot of errors that happen. Yeah, and I think as well they're scrutinised even more because now we do have VAR, people will drill down on it and say, why are these decisions not being reached? But ultimately, I think it probably is a good thing. And for someone who's not a VAR advocate, I think I'd sooner get rid of it rather than try and improve it. All right, well, that's it for today's Football Social Daily. The end of the discussion when it comes to VAR. Who knows what will happen, though, between now and the end of the week. We have got Danny Simpson, former Premier League winner, 
and player for Manchester United, Newcastle United and others coming into the studio to chat to us tomorrow. So make sure you hit subscribe and you won't miss that episode. Danny has been through a lot in his career, both on and off the pitch, and we'll get to know him a little bit better. So make sure you don't miss it. But from me, Marley and Joel, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. And we'll catch you on the next one. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.